The Blue Ridge Mountains are synonymous with beauty, adventure, ruggedness, exploration, and discovery. They are filled with iconic trails and highways and home to a rich biodiversity. They contain the most incredible waterfalls and wildlife, trails and rivers, hunting and fishing, and our quaint throwback mountain towns are growing increasingly popular as people look to escape urban spaces. And these are precisely many of the reasons that international wildlife photographer and Canon Explorer of Light Chaz Glatzer wouldn't want to live anywhere else. In this episode, Chaz visits the studio and we talk about his 38-year career with photography, his favorite wildlife subjects to shoot, and some of his favorite places to shoot. And we also talk about his love for teaching others in the field so they can grab the perfect shot. Chaz is a master storyteller, and he draws on nearly four decades of experience with animal behavior, photography, and leading people into all types of environments and climates to learn wildlife photography. But in his free time, You'll find him fishing the rivers and streams of Western North Carolina. And soon, he and his wife, Sharon, will be exploring as much of the Blue Ridge Mountains as possible in their new Airstream. Sit back and listen in as Chaz shares his passion for wildlife photography through his witty humor and incredible storytelling. You're listening to Exploration Local, a podcast designed to explore and celebrate the people and places that make the Blue Ridge and Southern Appalachian Mountains special and unique. My name is Mike Andrus, the host of Exploration Local. Join us on our journey to explore these mountains and discover how they fuel a spirit of adventure. We encourage you to wander far, but explore local. Let's go. I am extremely excited to have a friend of mine here. His name is Chaz Glatzer. We met about, I don't know, five or six years ago? Seven. Seven, seven years ago. And we have just stayed in touch over the years, and I'm excited to have him here today because he is not only an amazing photographer, but he's also just an amazing person, too. And he's, he's a great storyteller, and you're going to find that out here pretty quickly. But Chaz is a humble guy. He is a Canon Explorer of Light, as you saw in the title. That I'm going to let Chaz kind of explain what that means here in a minute, but... Chaz has been in the photography world for more than uh, 32 years or so. Yeah, 38. 38. 38 years. He has cemented his place in the world as one of literally the top wildlife photographers that are working today. Um, but he's also one of the most sought-after educators and speakers in this field. He's been in publications like National Geographic and Smithsonian, Outdoor Photographer, National Parks, Discover Diving, and 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 so many others. And uh, for me, that those are all great things, and we're going to talk about it. But, dude, I just love being with you and just hearing the stories, which people are going to learn really quickly, uh, how good those can be. But, Chaz, man, thanks for being here today, but I really appreciate it. That's always a pleasure. It's great seeing you again. I think we, we hit it off from day one. Day one. <laughs> day one we did. Yeah, absolutely. I was... Working at Land Rover, and uh, I don't know if you want to talk about any of this stuff, but, <laughs> but you had just finished a, a major, major campaign for Canon, and I was able to help you with uh, one of your your longtime dreams. Yeah, so, a little purchase there. Yeah. yeah. Still got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool, man. All right, so we're going to talk uh, a lot of things photography, but we're going to talk a lot of things life, and obviously you live right here in North Carolina. We both are uh, in the Mills River area of North Carolina, so... We're going to talk about that a little bit, but before we get started, man, just to kind of set the table, talk to us about what is a Canon Explorer of Light, Jazz. So the EUL program is essentially a, me- a mentorship, right? It's all about uh, teaching, giving back to others. So they're picking preeminent people in their career who are successful in what they do, have a social media presence and an ability to uh, speak and be influential to others, right? It's essentially you're you're trying to sell gear for Canon. Right. So um, I've always used Canon equipment. Well, not always. I started off with Nikon way back when, but Canon made a jump to um, to IS image stabilization and all the other stuff. And uh, so I jumped ship. Oh, man, must be, I guess, 25, 30 years ago, you know, somewhere around there and been a Canon user forever. And um, they saw what I do. They like it. I think there's 40 in the in the United States now. Uh, that are sponsored. So we run around and we do uh, advertising campaigns for Canon and uh, talk about the latest, greatest gear. We give them feedback. Um, we do trade shows, you know, all of that. Um, but for me, it's it's a lifetime achievement award, mm. right? So I can win a contest, you know, and that's a one-off or a picture. 
Um, the sponsorship from Canon is sort of like a lifetime achievement for me. It says, we appreciate everything you've done in your career, who you are, and uh, we'd like to reward you and uh, you know, be part of our, our program. So I am ecstatic about it. It's something that every photographer strives to be. I think Canon has the best program out of all the brands out there. Uh, they treat us like royalty, and we get to run around and uh, use the latest, greatest equipment on the planet, and uh, it enables me to do my job better. Oh, that's amazing. So not only is the uh, best equipment on the planet, as you say, but literally you have traveled all around the planet. Yeah, what it's, you do. it's been a crazy life. Wow. So in the 90s, I did underwater photography all around the world. Um, just about, you know, everywhere. I was crazy shooting stuff for magazines and stock photography. And then while I was uh, on these liveaboard dive boats, people would always ask, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? So I saw the writing on the wall and I said, you know, uh, I wonder if I could lease a boat myself and fill it with wannabe photographers. So that's how the teaching started for me, mm. you know, so I leased a boat, I'd get all these photographers on there, teach them to do what I do, and I said, okay, I think we're on to something. And my career has evolved right through that, um, the course of action and the time slots, you know, where everything just kind of uh, materialized, all fell in place for me, right? So we got social media taken off, we got digital taken off, and I was uh, savvy enough to just jump on all those bandwagons. And uh, way back when, in I guess mid-90s, we started the first online nature magazine. Cool. So people started to know me from that, and then I had Fuji sponsoring me, and you know, eventually uh, it all kind of took off. But been a lot of different genres over the years. So I started off just like a lot of photographers, you know, doing the weddings and the portraits, and then gravitated to uh, commercial work and advertising campaigns and traveling around for in-flight magazine. And uh, growing up, I always had a love for outdoors. You know, we... We camped, hunted, fished, and all that stuff with my family. And I just kind of gravitated over to, to doing wildlife, which is my forte now. So, yeah, we get to do uh, 18 trips a year, traveling around the world, teaching people to do what I do in the best locations on the planet. Oh, that's amazing. And the really cool thing, there's a lot of cool things about you, Chaz, but one of the really neat things is that, as you kind of talk about, there used to be the chase for you know the stock photo and trying to build stock and all this sort of thing, and you're a great storyteller, but you're a teacher. I mean, you're a teacher at heart. I, I picked up on that from the very moment I met you, and that's just been really true with you. Yeah, you know, it, it, it took a little while for me to, to fully comprehend what that meant, and I've always liked giving back, mm. right? And I've always given 100% of everything I know. I mean, there's a lot of guys who... You know, I'll give you 50%, but I don't want you to do what I do. You know, it's competitive. I'm not worried about the competition. I'm, the biggest thing for me is for me to teach you the light bulb goes off and you get the best picture on the trip. You know, and I mean that sincerely from my heart. You know, it's not about me getting the picture anymore. I know I can get a good picture. It's about teaching you and then you get the image. And, and I'll just throw this up to you for a moment. I did an interview and they said to me, what do you want on your, you know, on your epitaph? And I'm like, what? Like, do you know something? I don't know. Why would you ask that <laughs> Why question? Why am I thinking about this Why now? would you ask that question? Yeah, it kind of set me back in my chair a little bit. But the reality is I think what I would like and what I see and what means most to me is more than a good photographer, he was a better teacher. So I look at all this now. It's not just me teaching you. It's you teaching other people. And a lot of people that I've taught over the past 38 years, um, particularly probably the last 15, 20 years, have gone on to teach other people. Right. So now all of us are showing people what's on this wonderful planet and that we need to preserve it and conserve, you know, the wildlife, you know, and the environment and all that. And and it all ties together. And that's the bigger message. Right. So it's not just me teaching the photography, but it's me getting people in the field. It's teaching them to enjoy. They they're recording everything that's out there. They're showing people places and things that maybe they don't have the wherewithal. Right. So vicariously through us. We're showing them the Falkland Islands, you know, or minus 50 degrees photographing polar bears, you know, in the Arctic or diving with bull sharks or, you know, whatever the crazy stuff I've done in my life. They get to see and appreciate that um, and get a healthy respect for it and understand that that's important, even though they can't physically get there on their own person. So say more about we talk about Galapagos Islands and some other places. I know that you actually even have some, I don't know, private access to some of these places is the right way to say it. But share a little bit about where this photography has taken you and where literally in the world in some of these, these on-site locations and where, where have you, where have you gone? <laughs> There's so many places. I, I think I it. could just throw a dart at a map and go, yeah, I think I've been here. <laughs> um, you know, when, when you're first starting this, there's all these iconic places you want to go. 
You want to go to Antarctica. You want to go to the Galapagos. You want to go to Africa. Um, I've been blessed in my career to, to, to be in those places multiple times now. I've been to the Falkland Islands 15 times. Oh, wow. That's a lot of penguins. <laughs> you know, I've been to Africa probably, you know, a dozen. And, and um, yeah, bears are my favorite thing. I've done over 160 bear trips now. Wow. So black bear, brown bear, you know, spirit bears, polar bears, uh, care bears. I don't know. You name the bears. I, you know, <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, just about, you know, photographed all of them. And, it, and it's a blessing, you know. And, um, geez, Japan, Iceland, um, Antarctica, I've been to the Arctic, I've uh, been to many places in Africa, Tanzania, Kenya, um, Botswana, numbers, you know, I can't even remember, probably seven or eight times to, to just Botswana alone. Wow. Um, but there are still places I'd like to go. You know, we had an opportunity to go to on a Pantanal to photograph jaguars, Patagonia to photograph pumas, and unfortunately because of the COVID stuff going on and all that, um, that just kind of got canceled, you know, so... We are playing that game. A lot of the overseas stuff now is kind of on hold. Um, a lot of it has been rescheduled. Um, primarily what I do is I take um, six to eight people to the best locations on the planet and teach them to do what I do. Wow. So my company, Shoot the Light, is essentially a photograph instructional tour company. And, and that's what we're doing. And COVID has thrown a little bit of a monkey wrench in there. So we're doing a lot more stuff locally around the, you know, here yeah. you know, in, in beautiful Western North Carolina. Um, but throughout the United States, um, while kind of traveling abroad is on hold. That's interesting. And in the past, you've kind of shared with me that when you first started transitioning into trying to take a photograph and get paid for that image, and you started to transition into, I really want to kind of take people out and teach them, that there was some pushback, not from who you would think, but from close friends to say, why Why are you doing this? Yeah, so, so originally there was a big disparity in what the pros and the amateurs were photographing, right? Just the skill levels. And, and back then, uh, you know, men were men and boys were boys kind of thing. So you didn't have digital, you didn't have instant feedback, you had to know what you're doing. Uh, back in the beginning, there weren't any uh, meters in the cameras, so you're using handheld meters. Uh, now I'm showing my age. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, all, all crazy stuff, right? So now you have this big disseminator of information across the web. We have digital cameras where you have instant feedback where you can actually see the picture live before you even depress the shutter button, which sees what you get. Right, live histograms in the viewfinder. So the playing field has started to level out. There's no more secret places because I tell you on the web, hey, you know, Patagonia. Okay, where in Patagonia? And people are just about geotagging the stuff, which I try and discourage because it's not fair to the to the animals. Yeah. I don't care if people go there and they get the same pictures, but competition now and all this other stuff and uh, baby boomers with, you know, extra dollars are all running to locations around the planet and pushing the wildlife further into the woods. So they mm. care more about getting the picture than they do about the welfare of the subjects. And, you know, that's a big uh, kind of controversy. But again, um, so you have the, the logistics all figured out. You have the equipment all figured out. You have people with the dollars who can now travel and buy that equipment. So the playing field is basically leveled, you know, pretty much. I mean, you could have a guy who's a sanitation engineer, right, whose pictures are as good, if not better, than any working pro on any given day. You know, he just chooses to have a real 401 uh, plan, you know, and, right. and healthcare taken care of by somebody else. So um, it's all different. You can go on, on Instagram, you can go on Facebook, you can go on 500px, 1x, all these websites and look at those photographs, you know, and somebody will say, well, what's wrong with this one? And I'll say, it's not mine. You know, the, <laughs> the picture's phenomenal. Every day I look at those photographs and say, geez, I, those are killer pictures I would like in my portfolio. You know, so you can't be everywhere all at once. But now most people are out there having these cameras and uh, they're, they're taking phenomenal images. It's, it's a whole different world, you know, and, and it's cool because I got to be a part of that. So to answer your question, um, without going off on tangents, like I, I can readily... We'll go off on a few and that's okay. Like I can readily do. Right. I'm going to look a squirrel. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, when I first told everybody, okay, I'm going to quit doing all the commercial stuff, I'm going to do wildlife, take people to the locations I do and teach them everything I do, there was pushback. They're like, you can't do that. My career is based on that. You know, that's not fair, you know. And, and I'm like, well, you know, it's just an evolution, right? Adapt, migrate, or die. And I saw the, you know, the writing on the wall, and it just makes more sense for me. You know, more people out there telling people what to do. But I've had 
uh, photographers tell me, you single-handedly ruined Jasper, you know, in Canada. You know, you put Aww. it on the web. And I'm like, come on, man. It's a national park. Right. You know, sooner or later, it's all going to come out there. Right. But I have, to be honest, seen my industry change. So, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you go to photograph spirit bears, right? And you're the only group with six people. Now you go and there's 25 people in four different groups all along the river. And there's just two bears that continually walk back and forth. You know, so there's Paul Nicklin from Geographic. There's, you know, Turner from, you know, doing something else with IMAX. There's these other guys and and the bears just walking back and forth and the animals get habituated, you know, mm. which is really not cool either. You know, and sometimes I think that it, it comes to uh, almost a point of exploitation, you know, where we're taking advantage of the animal, you know, just to make revenue streams. And there has to be a higher agenda than that. Mm. You know, it can't just be all about the, the money. It has to be about teaching conservation and things. Wow. Well, that's a really good point. You know, just as you're speaking, uh, my wife and I, uh, in January, a couple of years ago, we were coming back. Um, down 441 through the um, Condolufty Visitor Center right there in the Elkhorn out. And, people, I mean, cars lined up, man, and people were walking as close as they could possibly get to some of these just in real, you know, um, unsafe distances. But it, it, it that really kind of hit me, too, what you're saying. So I can kind of visualize that a little bit going, man, there's I, I th- see it every there's year. 35 people out here. I was just at a Condolufty Visitor Center last week. Okay. So we went over there just to scout, you know, for the fall trips I have coming up over here. Yeah. In Western North Carolina. And yeah, the parking lot is jammed full. Um, luckily over there, they did have a bunch of rangers. You know, we're kind of keeping people back, you know, away from the elk and supposed to maintain 50 yards and things like that. But uh, you see Taurons. Okay. That's what we call them yeah, all yeah. the time. You know, tourists and morons. So we got Taurons um, d- doing things that are completely inappropriate and putting their kids in jeopardy and their lives in jeopardy. And I mean, you can get skewered by an elk. I've seen it in Jasper. Wow. You know, I've seen a guy end up in the hospital and cars get punctured by, you know, by crazed, uh, you know, hormonal elk in the rut, you know, and things like that. And uh, yeah, you got to pay attention. You know, a lot of people come from overseas and they kind of have this dizzy syndrome, mm. you know, where they're watching everything on TV and uh, they just assume everything's like, you know, cows. You know, people go to Yellowstone and photograph bison. Oh, look, it's a cute little bison. Yeah, right. Cute little bison that's uh, 2,000 pounds and runs 35 miles an hour with horns. You know, you figure it out. Yeah. You know, and they they get close and they get gored. And, you know, as much of that is prevalent and now it's on social media because everybody has a, you know, an iPhone or whatever. It's still out there. It's still out there. I've had my fair share of stuff, you know, and I am really cautious and understand animal behavior and watch out for all of it. You know, when you de-escalate it, as soon as you see it, the head drop, the eyes come up, you know, the the, the jaw popping from a bear, or, you, you know, you see a moose kind of cock his head back and forth. But I've been charged and bluff charged and attacked by sea lions and, you know, barracudas underwater and bumped by bull sharks. And I've had my fair of stuff, and I am real cautious in what I do. So to take it to the next level and to do it on purpose, you know, and initiate confrontation with an animal, that's just plain outright stupid. Wow. Well, I'd like to say more about that, maybe in, in, in two different ways. Number one, I'd love to talk about really kind of what makes you different and how you teach and, and your website is Shoot the Light. And I won't even try to do a good job or I won't even try to explain that because I'll let you do it. But the other thing is, as a wildlife photographer, I think one of the things that, that just hearing you talk and, and just kind of following you that's amazing is that you understand that animal behavior, too. So it feels like there's kind of two things that really kind of set you apart, maybe three. You love to teach. You understand light, and then you also understand that animal behavior um, without kind of giving a dissertation in each of those. I mean, I just love to just kind of hear your thoughts on the light piece and then about the animal behavior, too. So the best thing I ever did was start to work in a studio, right? Essentially, you're in a black hole. There is no light. So you learn quantity of light, quality of light, and direction of light, right? And once you understand that, you could take it anywhere. So an analogy, let's say I want to do a portrait, right? So I'm not going to... You know, if, if you have a, a an elderly woman, okay, and she's got a lot of, you know, she's had 42 kids in her life and been through hardships and all that, and you want to emphasize all that. So you're going to use a smaller light source because you're going to have a harder shadow edge, right, which is going to emphasize more wrinkles, right? You're going to bring the light further away, all that kind of stuff. If you have a porcelain goddess who wants to be a model, then you take the big lights and you bring them close to the camera so the light goes straight in and straight out, fills in every imperfection, Then it's the job of the makeup artist to come in and contour or draw the illusion of depth perception through the makeup, 
right? So two different things, but you learn, here's the direction of light, right? So I can control that in a studio. Outside, I control it by moving my position. The sun is fixed, right? But I can change my position relative to the subject to get side lighting or front lighting and then watch my background as well. So I can watch the background and I can watch the light. But now I have to wait for the subject to orient itself correctly to the light before I depress the shutter. So if the light's coming from the right, but the subject's looking to the left, his face is in shadow. Mm. So, right? so I have to wait for the subject to cock its head. And, and once you understand that quantity, quality, and direction, now you can take it outside. So everything you start to see is in a ratio. Nothing is just light. Everything is how bright or dark is one area relative to the other. How bright is the right side of the face relative to the left side of the face? How bright is the background relative to the subject? Can all of that be uh, incorporated and captured in the dynamic range of your sensor? So it's a whole different world now with, with digital versus film, right? We have a much expanded range. It's not going to capture everything we see with our eye, but we definitely can capture more in the highlights and shadows and play that whole game. So you learn all of that, you know, and the more I understand about animal behavior, the more I can be predictive, right, or proactive in my approach to taking photographs. Okay. So there's a bear walking across the swamp, but there's a log in the swamp. So I tell everybody, okay, focus on the swamp and set up your composition and, you know, and your picture for that. They go, how do you know the bear's going to walk on the log? Well, if you were walking through a mucky swamp and you saw something hard, like a log for a substrate, what would you do? Right? So you set up the camera, boom, the, the bear's on the log. You know, all of that. I've been photographing loons for almost 20 years. I know what the loon's going to do, I think, before the loon's going to do it. <laughs> so we'll watch the loon, and if he squeezes his feathers, right, and exhales, he goes straight down. Well, that's kind of stealth mode. So you stop looking for the bird, and you start looking around for what it's going to attack. So if there's duck chicks on the lake, he's going after that. You know, if he just does his little soft dive into the water, okay, that's just regular feeding behavior. So all of that allows me to be more proactive. Um, one of the best analogies is we had a um, photographing bear cubs. So mom sends the bear cubs up the tree to get some rest, and cubs eventually go up there and take a nap after you know running amok for a while. Uh, so she gives this guttural grunt, and she wants to call the cubs down. So I hear that, and I recognize it, and I tell the group, okay, stop immediately what you're doing. Come over here, set the camera up vertical. Mom's going to stand on the tree, and she's going to touch each cub as it comes down to kind of reassure it. So we had a bear biologist with me, and he's looking at me as, as if I'm a deer in the headlights. You know, like, what are you talking about? Right? So I give everybody my position. They get the shots all set up. Each cub comes down individually, three cubs in total. Mom stands up, nuzzles each cub. They come down the tree, and I'm dancing in the background. That's awesome. I got my hands over my head, and I'm jacking around. You know, and the biologist looks at me, and I said, you got to spend more time in the woods, man. <laughs> Not so, a book. No, not not the book. Not reading about it. Not yeah. doing it. It's time in the field. Wow. And I can't impress that more. You know, if you're a sports photographer and you're going to photograph a football game or a hockey game, you got to know the sport. That's right. Right? If you want to photograph equestrian, you know, Grand Prix circuit, you got to know the apex of the horse at the jump. Right? All of that stuff. So, again, it just allows me to be more proactive. There's an elk walking on the ridge. You know, and I told everybody, okay, that's not a good photograph at all. Let's go 100 yards down the road. So we all drive down. There's a clearing in the background. Set the exposure for the, for the light in the background, right? So we have a beautiful silhouette, and the elk's going to look towards where we are. And they go, how do you know that? Well, that's because I cheated a little bit. And I went, <laughs> right? So I give my little elk call. He cocks his head. Brat, let's go on to the next picture. Wow. So yeah, you know, the bird's in the shade. You're photographing that. What's going to happen now? He's going to fly away. It's going to fly away. Which way is he going to go? It's going to go into the wind, oh. right? Just like a plane. They're always going to go into the wind, so they get the loft. What's over there? Sunlight. So I set my exposure up for sunlight. The bird jumps. I already got the picture. Again, wow. done. Right? Where if you're going to be reactive and the bird jumps and then your exposure is incorrect, can you get the bird back on the loft? <laughs> Excuse me. Can you go back and yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's start do over. that again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Game over. Right? So again, it's forethought. So the more I know about the animal behavior... I can predict what's going to happen and be proactive and setting up for the picture I want to capture. So it's not always about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not always about where the animal is at the time. It's about where I want it to be when I depress the shutter, right? So if you look 10 feet ahead, there might be something that's more conducive, that had a sense of scale, right? It's more dramatic. It's a better background. The light's a little better. So, you know, it frees you up to do that.
Wow, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. You just rip through this like it's just nothing. And I'm sitting here just thinking back of all the pictures I've tried to take and why I've failed so many times. And I'm like almost to the point where I've given up. I'm like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to watch it. The funny thing is it's almost like an epiphany for people. So I'll get people who have been photographing for you know a really long time. And then they'll come on the trip and I'm like, you know, okay, you got to be proactive and set it up for the image you want to take. Not necessarily, you know, what's before you. And, and they're like, what? I'm like, well, why, you know, do you want to take pictures or you want to take snapshots? Mm. Right? So if you think about it, I'm always telling people you have to see the image in your mind first and then figure out the tools and techniques to capture that vision. I like that. That's the key to all of it. See the picture in your mind first. If you can't do that, you're at the mercy of the camera. You become a tool for the camera rather than the camera becoming a tool, right, for you. you the camera is just a box, right? F-stop, shutter speeds, ISOs, all that stuff. But, but it's a tool. So how does the tool capture the vision I want? Right? You don't just pick up a screwdriver and go, okay, what's the screwdriver going to do? Right. Right? So you have to pick the right tool for the job. And whether that's filters, which lens you want for composition, you know, all that stuff. People will just pick up a lens and they'll buy a zoom lens. And the only thing they do with the zoom lens is use it as a cropping tool. Oh, right? Yeah. I can't get close. I'm going to zoom to 500 millimeters. I can't get wide enough. I'm going to zoom out to 24 millimeters. But it does things differently. It changes perspective. You know, you get close with a wide angle. looks like things are separated. You do with a long lens, it compresses backgrounds, right? So back when the film days, people would buy fixed lenses. You buy a 50 millimeter, you buy a 200 millimeter, and you get to learn what those lenses do. Now everybody buys a zoom lens. It's just, you know, they change it. So it's my job to put a crayon in your box, okay? And, and this is what I, what I tell people, and I didn't come up with it. There was a guy, um, I forgot his name. I think it was... Uh, Zeiser, maybe David Zeiser. I don't know. I saw him and, and he kind of gave it to me and I kind of changed it around a little bit. But when we do this tech series, there's 10 people in a class, 20 people, it's irrelevant. There's a white piece of paper and I put a crayon on your table and I go, hey, draw me a rainbow. They're like, what? I'm going to draw you a rainbow. I got one color. Okay, so at the end of the first day, you learned five different ways to meter. Okay, so you got five crayons. The next day, we go over flash, on camera, off camera, TTL, manual. Okay, the third day, we learn about visual skills. Right, so composition, lighting, all that stuff. Fourth day, we learned about post-production. So now at the end of the class, you got 32 crayons. Draw me a rainbow now. Wow. Right, so it's my job as an educator to put more crayons in your box. I appreciate the fact that people want to come with me and emulate what I do, but that's not my goal. My goal is to put the crayons in your box so that you can draw the picture you see, right? And that's how I approach all of it. And the teaching methodology is I try and distill it down into easy concepts, Eliminate all the variables. If you're new to photography, what I want you to do is not change your f-stop, not change your ISO. The only thing I want you to do is change your shutter speed, right? So that you see how that affects exposure. And the more comfortable you get with those fundamentals, now leave the shutter speed, now change your f-stop. Okay, now leave the f-stop and the shutter speed, now just change your ISO. So once you see the correlation between all those three, right, it's called the exposure triangle, okay, now have at it. Now you can change all three whenever you want to at will. But, but there's a methodology to teach people how to do it. And uh, it's, it's working so far. Yeah. You know, 38 I, years later. I have a good career, yeah. So, oh, that's um, awesome. Appreciate all of it. So you have not all, always just been wildlife. You're, I mean, you mentioned earlier about weddings, things like this. But you also have done sports. You've done landscape. You've done a number of things. Do these same principles apply across... I mean, yeah, I that's a great question. Yeah, um, and I think they do. I think if you if you have an eye for composition, it carries over to all the other ones. You know, foreground, middle ground, background is what we're taught when we do landscapes, right? Depth perception, put something in the foreground, you know, as an anchor, and then your eye gets led to the background, leading lines, all that stuff. So if I take a picture with an animal that's, let's say, 25% of the viewfinder, okay, now there's a sense of context. There's a sense of story. Right. If I just go in and I cram the animal as big as I can in in the frame, I might as well go shoot it in a zoo. I'm not going to Alaska, right, to cram the bear in the frame so you can't see where I shot it. You know, so I want to tell a story, right? That's the goal. Picture tells it, you know, is worth a thousand words kind of thing. So my my style has kind of changed. You know, typically I'm gonna start with the subject being about twenty five percent of the viewfinder, you know, so that I can place it in there. And it does open up 
like more variables, right? So I have to watch the elements in the background. Is there a bright tree trunk that's going to distract from the bear? You know, all that stuff. So you can go horizontal, go vertical, zoom in, zoom out, you know, get rid of the, the problems, right? Um, but, but yeah, I've, I've done a lot of things, you know, the, the sports, right? How to freeze action and pick up the decisive moments all carries over to wildlife. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so all of it, the lighting, you know, I never wanted to do weddings. You know, I, I call them uh, witches in white, right? So I've done all those weddings and dealt with all that craziness, and I never wanted to do it. And those who knew me even back then said, you shouldn't be doing this. You have more ability. You should, you know, do what you really want to. And those people have actually said, uh, you got out. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I invited a friend on the trip, and he said, you know, you're the envy of everybody back in New York. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you got out. You figured a way out. So they're really good. They have successful careers in in doing the weddings and portraits, you know, and it's a difficult thing to do. I mean, it is not easy, you know, but I never had my heart into it. But I learned a tremendous amount doing that. I learned to photograph in all different kinds of weather, all different kinds of lighting, indoors, outdoors, with flash, without flash, you know, how to um, deal with people and stress, you know, and all of that, which kind of carries over to doing the workshops. You have eight people. Sometimes there's personality conflicts. You know, his elbow's touching me. You know, I was telling you that <laughs> yeah, yeah. crazy story, you know, or silly stuff that people want me to get involved in. Um, so, yeah, you know, we're, we're a culmination of our experience. Yeah. Right? So the more experiences I've had in photography in different genres all makes me be a better, you know, photographer now. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So um, real quick, and I want to transition into where you live right now because we have a kindred spirit there. There's a reason you live right here in Western North Carolina. But talk a little bit about what some of your responsibilities are with Canon Explorer Lite because we're talking about these workshops. And I know that you have done a certain number of workshops. Um, It's just kind of what's required comes with the territory. But then you've also been able to transition that. We're going to kind of talk about COVID and then kind of post-COVID, you know, where we are right now and where your workshops are going. But talk a little bit about what these uh, workshops are uh, that we're referring to and what is the sort of the makeup, how often, and is it more of like as an ambassador role with Canon or things that you schedule? Um, I know that's a loaded question. You can go a million different directions. No, so, so, so Shoot the Light, which is my company, um, we do all in-house. We set up the logistics. We set up the hotels, right? We set up the formats. We set up the locations. I mean, all of that is handled internally by us. And then the people who understand who I am in the industry – and uh, feel that I'm reputable and knowledgeable, um, sign up and we'll come on those trips to those locations, right? So from the beginning, I figured, okay, it's not just about taking people there and teaching them photography. It's sort of a vacation for these people. A lot of them are still working. A lot of them, right, I would say the majority of them are retired, you know, who have been lucky enough to do well in their life and, and have the, uh, the health and, and dollars and cents to travel to exotic locations. And, and I get to vicariously go through them. Right. So I get to travel around the world to, you know, to Botswana, for instance, you know, and take these people there, teach them photography in an extraordinary environment, you know, where they're going to get to see everything. But we are uh, responsible for all of it. Wow. You know, so that's a lot on my shoulders as well. It's not just the photography part. You know, I have to be guide and tour operator and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, which is originally not really what I wanted to do. (laughs) I wanted to teach photography and, and photograph wildlife, but kind of comes with the territory. So for Canon, um, Canon will say, hey, look, you know, uh, like for instance, hey, we got a gig coming up in Bosque. You know, are you interested in going down to Bosque um, and, and representing us there and teaching people about the, the benefits of Canon cameras and how to do wildlife photography, you know, and things like that. So that's part of the, like the ambassador role, okay. you know, part of the EOL program. But we also do Zoom classes. So to kind of segue into your, your COVID uh, question, yeah, when COVID hit, you know, a lot of the one-on-one or personal appearances, you know, kind of got stifled. So, okay, how do I matriculate my business into something that's still going to be a viable revenue stream, right? So Canon comes out with a new R5 or a new camera. There's a lot of people who want to understand how do I, you know, utilize this who don't want to work in a group environment. So we set up all these individual classes. So I must have done, I don't know, 25, 30 individual Zoom classes to help people understand that. As well as, you know, group scenarios for Canon and for photographic organizations and trade shows and and all that. So, you know, I would guess the last two years we've done uh, quite a few of those, you know, in a role uh, for Canon 
where beforehand we would go to an actual trade show or an event, you know, and, and do it in person. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So you are a world traveler. We've already said that a few times, right? And one of the things that we kind of share in common is that um, I grew up, I, well, the military part, we don't share in common, but the fact that we moved all over the world, that's just kind of what we did. And so I often have said that I have moved all over the world. Uh, excuse me. I've traveled around the world, around the United States. I've lived in Europe, traveled back to Europe and so forth. But I often say that, that, that there's really, in all those travels, there's only one place that I want to live. And that's right here in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Western North Carolina. Yeah, I got a chill, man. <laughs> I did. I, I honestly got a chill when you just said that. So we lived in Long Island in New York. And um, uh, my wife was involved in the financial industry and all that stuff uh, with IT, not necessarily. But, but she worked in Manhattan and did that gig for 15 years, uh, which is sort of like selling your soul to the devil, I guess. <laughs> anyway, after 9-11, um, we figured, okay, you know, Maybe it's time to get out of here. So she had some some anxiety, and rightfully so. She lost friends in the wow. in the tower collapses and all that stuff. So we had a decision to make. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? So for me, it was okay. It was either the oceans or the mountains. And I loved hunting, loved fishing, hiking, camping, you know, kayaking, canoeing, all that stuff. And I saw an article that said uh, Western North Carolina, one of the top ten recreational areas in the United States. And then coincidentally, her dad had moved down here. Oh. So we came down to visit him, and we looked around and. Then our kids were going to transition into middle school and high school. And uh, I saw that, hey, the Hendersonville area had one of the top SAT scores, right, for, you know, for college, you know, from North Carolina. So I said, okay, that's pretty good, too. You know, and we came down and we looked around and, dude, I'm 15 minutes from, like, Pisgah National Forest. I'm 15 minutes from DuPont State Forest. Yeah. You know, there's millions of acres of wilderness. Yeah. There's gorgeous mountains, vistas, views. 20 minutes, I'm at the top of the Blue Ridge Parkway. Yeah. I, I think I found heaven. Yeah, yeah. And and so we've been here now almost 20 years, you know, and, and we're thinking about moving. So people are like, where do you want to move? Within a half hour where I live. That's I'm not awesome. going anywhere else. Yeah. I absolutely love it here. I, I go fly fishing every waking moment that's possible. And that's only 15 minutes away. That's right. Right? So within an hour's drive of where I am, there's a thousand miles of rivers, creeks, and streams for me to fly fish. Heck yeah. So I'm, it's, yeah, there's no place I'd rather be. God's honest truth. People always ask, if you could be any place on the planet, where would you be? Right here. Home. I love it. Home. Spending time with my family, my grandchildren, you know, in, in this particular area, walking through the woods, home. Yeah. Well, Without that, a doubt, it's home. <clears throat> well, so we got to say more about that because you used to be gone or would travel eight at months. some point, eight months out of the year. And so with with COVID, you, you've you already kind of alluded to the fact that you kind of pivoted a little bit, but I think it's uh, really cool where you're, where you're pivoting to right now. And in the month of October alone, you have trips that you're taking and workshops that you're putting on of course it's an amazing time of year to do it we have all the fall leaf and 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 of course like you just said you were in kind of left the other day you saw the elk in the rut and everything else but um you've got workshops that are coming up here and you're able to make uh fulfill your obligations i think with canon you were explaining to me but you can still make the income so your 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 level is still there but you get to be at home with sherry and and your daughters and the grandkids and now a cool airstream yeah yeah, so say so, more about that, man. This is this is kind of a new season for you, which is, I mean, you, you, the glow on your face, dude. It's it's like real. <laughs> it's palpable, man. Yeah, it's it's it's. I, I've been blessed in my career, you know. For all these years, I've traveled around the planet, been blessed, you know. And and it's a double edged sword for me, right? So I'll leave my family, you know, eight months on the road, and they understand, and they've been really appreciative. And I wouldn't be where I am without my wife and my kids, you know, understanding that and their their continued support and love. But but I. So I go to these places, and I'm like, oh, man, I left my family again, you know, and, and I you know, get tears in my eyes. And then I come home after it's all done, and I sit on the couch, and I get tears in my eyes again, mm. thanking my stars above and, and the blessings that I've achieved and what I just, just got to see and witness that, you know, 1% or 2% of the planet gets to do. It's amazing. Right? So I live in this wonderful place we call Western North Carolina, surrounded by gorgeous mountains. So in October, for the past few years— we have um, like a fall tech series, 
right? So we do the waterfalls. We do night sky at the Blue Ridge. Um, we go to uh, Cataluchi to do elk. We go to areas and, you know, photograph fall foliage and rivers and Davidson River, all that for five days. And then I have the classroom in the hotel right near Brevard, right, um, at the base of Pisgah National Forest, where we have a classroom set up. So we can, you know, teach and then practice what we preach. That's awesome. So we do that for five days. Um, this year, the response was overwhelming. And I think part of that was people want to get out, Yeah, you know. So uh, we had to turn people away. And then I said, all right, well, let's see if we do a second one. So we put up another one just before that. And then people said, could we do private lessons? So I am jam crazy packed in, in this month. It all starts probably uh, October 15th, I think it all starts. And then we have the two workshops back to back and then private lessons all back to back. Um, yeah, it's crazy. And then November, I get to go to uh, Dubosky, I think, for Canon. They're, they're trying to put that together. And uh, I had a trip to the Arctic. I canceled that for polar bears. And in December, I go to Washington and we photograph eagles, the largest congregation of eagles in the United States. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy, but um, it's beautiful here. Yeah. You know, and Joe, um, we were talking about uh, my friend now who's teaching workshops for me, Joe Subaleski, is doing a lot of things in North Carolina. Black bears on the coast, you know, winter wildlife, uh, Madam Mesquite. You know, there's, there's such a wealth of, of uh, wildlife and, and opportunities here in North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm proud to be here. You know, um, I, I love the place. I, I wouldn't move anywhere else. No, man. No. Well, you were asking me earlier, you know, Mike, where are you moving? Cause I'm moving too. Yeah. I said 0. 0.7 miles away. Yeah. That's <laughs> as far as I'm going. Yeah. So, so originally when we moved here, it was a neighborhood, you know, I was traveling so much. I didn't want to put my wife, you know, by herself up in the woods and that kind of stuff. But, uh, so now we're looking, you know, a little bit more, you know, rural, you know, I want my mountain view or, yeah. you know, my log home and stuff like that. But, but, um, yeah, you just kind of, kind of segued into the Airstream thing. So yeah. uh, for the first time, yeah. So we did it. We, we pulled the plug on an Airstream. Um, now we're considering a tow vehicle, but my wife is completely ecstatic. Man, I'm so pumped. She can't wait, dude. All we want to do is travel around, you know, do short trips initially with the grandkids, get them out there, you know, and then try and do some some longer trips and hit every fishing spot on the planet That's right. You know that I can think of. So yeah, we're really excited. Another chapter. Yeah. Well, Mama will be happy. She'll have her heat and her, her air and her stove and her yeah. all the accoutrements and everything else. And you get to go find new fishing holes. Exactly. And and you know, so we got something a little little more, you know, opulent. But I just figured, happy wife, happy life. So yeah. so yeah, yeah. So if we could swing it and keep her in the style to which she has become accustomed. <laughs> um, my life would be a lot easier, but she's not like that at all. She, she's you know, down to we're, earth. Yeah, so we're we're in our sixties now. I think I think a lot of the winter camping thing might be over in the tents. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, if we could do it a little bit and feel more, you know, creature comforts and enjoy ourselves. Well, you're better than me, man. My, that's what Teresa wants, and I'm still trying to get her going a rooftop tent. So, yeah, she's like, oh. yeah, but still, it's cool. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, that's awesome. So do you have a first trip planned in mind or are you going to go out and start exploring with your nice Airstream? Uh, yeah, people ask that. Unfortunately, the delivery is in May. You oh, know? So, no. Yeah, so it's pushed out. First guy said March and I'm like, okay, we're all hot about that, you know, because at least we can do the spring and summer season. Now they're saying, you know, that so many people are interested and blah, blah, blah that, um, yeah, May. Wow. So gives us some planning. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about which vehicle again to tow it with and, you know, looking at the pickup of the SUV thing and um, and then, yeah, where do we want to go? You know, I don't even care if it's, if it's 10 miles away to Mills River. Right, right. You know, it's just kind of to get out, to do like a shakedown cruise. That's right. You know, and learn the ins and outs of doing the RV thing and, uh, you know, don't mix up the black water and gray water, <laughs> you know, with the, with the drinking water, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, so, um. So, be so, some- so I heard last night we were looking online. The guy said, yeah, don't mess with the stinky slinky, <laughs> you know, the black one, stinky slinky. I was dying. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Sherry almost fell off the couch. <laughs> it's so true, man. Yeah, I was, I yeah. My, my dad has had an RV. We've had an RV in the family for a number of years, and so he's an RV pro. And uh, the last time we were, um, we were in the eastern part of the state, and uh, and I, I had to help him with the stinky slinky. So yeah. yeah. Did you ever hear that before? No, I've never heard that before. But that makes <laughs> I love sense. it. Yeah, but as soon as you said it, it yeah, it definitely makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely know. There's no, there's no misconstruing yeah. what what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, I know when I'm handed gloves and goggles. <laughs> I'm like, this can't be good. Yeah, the Tyvek suit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, hazmat. As long as it's not like the big rolling turd with Robin Williams. 
yeah. I should make the grandkids watch that before they go. <laughs> you should. Oh, we had one. It was a big rolling turd. It was all it was all Virginia Tech colors, and I think it actually even made it onto T-shirts in the Virginia Tech bookstore. Did it was so hideous. But have man, to we... play the Partridge Family music yeah, yeah. going down. <laughs> Come on down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm looking forward to it. No, as well you should, man. Yeah, so whenever Sherry gets bored, she doesn't want to go out, and you need somebody last minute, dude. So 828-551-9065, you call me. There you go. Yeah, and I figure if I tick her off, I got a nice place to stay. So <laughs> yeah, That's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Chaz. All right. All right. So um, I know you talked about North Carolina, and I'm, I may be asking the same question again, but we know all of the um, the streams and the rivers and the creeks and all the land and everything else that we have here, but – um, what is it about all, cause that's all just geographical stuff that you may say that, and that doesn't mean anything to anybody that's a beach lover or is on the coast or has lived on the, you know, the flatlands of the Midwest or something like that. But, um, how would you say that these mountains affect you? I don't mean to get weird and all touchy feely, but I mean, literally how, how do they affect, um, you personally and, Make you make you want to keep living here and affect the rest of your life. When you sit at the top of the Blue Ridge Parkway or those mountains, right, and you watch that sunrise come up, and it's a new day, and the sun just breaks the horizon, and the birds start chirping, and there's fog in the valley. It, it's spiritual. Yeah, I mean, you get an just an overwhelming sense of connection, you know, with the world and all that's right. You know, and all that other nonsense that's going on now goes out of your head. Wow. You know, and it's cathartic for me. That's why I started fly fishing again. You know, I come home from the crazy trips and, and the responsibilities and grab the fly rod. And, you know, my wife instigated that again. She's like, hey, you used to do it in high school. Do it now. All you do is eat, sleep, breathe photography. So for the past, I don't know how many years it is now, 10 or 15 years, you know, I've been crazy in the fly fishing. Wow. Um, But, Yeah. The running water on a stream. I mean, I almost went to college. So I went to, for marine science, but but just for what was called, uh, you know, the study of fresh water. I mean, just sitting next to that creek and hearing that instantly transposes me back. If I hear it on a on a podcast or you know in a song or whatever, you know, so it gives me the physical part from being there, yeah. and I connect it with the audio part. You know, it's like hearing the bugle of an elk or the you know the the loons, you know, or the cry of a hawk howl of a wolf, all that stuff transports me smack back there instantly. Bam, I'm there, you know, and all the worldly nonsense goes out of my head. And um, we're fortunate, man. We have all of it. You know, I was at the beach recently, you know, last month my daughter got married at uh, Topsail Island. Yeah. And I missed the beach and it was fantastic, you know, and, and I, I truly loved it. But when we're coming back up 25, that grade, and yep. I see those mountains in front of me, yep. you know, or even just where we are, the little horseshoe area, yeah. you know, and I come down, you know, um, 64 and see the mountains up there, yeah. and I I calm down. I feel my blood pressure yeah. lower, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's, it's you know, people, people oh, you're just making that up. No, I'm it's not real. making it up. You know, it's like biorhythms. I look at the mountains, and I just feel my body calm down. You know, it's just, it's great. I mean, it really is. You have to experience it. You know, there are beautiful places across the country. BC, you know, British Columbia, is. If you got to go. It's one of the prettiest places on the planet. I mean, it is just mind-blowing. You're cruising these fjords with spirit bears and whales, you know. Yeah, it's, you know, I've been lucky. Yeah. You know. Yeah, well, and I love the fact that you can just bring all those photos back to us because, I mean, we're going to have links to your website. We'll have links to the uh, Canon. We'll have links to your Facebook page, which is just full of 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 amazing things. I, I i don't even know where we were or, or what what episode i was doing um but it was last winter and you were in yellowstone and you and i were connecting and you sent me some pictures from an on-site or a, um on location shoot you were doing i'm just like blown away at i think that place. was the assignment i did for canon was it yeah so i was there in november last year so uh photographing wolves wow. so it was the best winter we've ever had for wolves in uh, yellowstone wow yeah we had a pack with 21 wolves it was just it was insane. That's and then amazing. we had another pack and uh, got really fortunate. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was over the top. I mean, I've been in the Yellowstone 20 years, you know, every winter. And this was the, the absolute best for wolves we've ever had. Wow, that's cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, you know, photographing moose in minus 50 degrees and, you know, in Hudson Bay and coming home with a black nose going, uh-oh, oh. you know. 
yeah, and frostbite on my fingertips. And I've had my share of fun, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, so those are the elements you had your share of fun, but I have to believe that there's got to be some stories up there. You've shared some with me, and I don't want to give them away. Oh, yeah, getting bluff charged by a black bear, that's not fun. Here, I'll tell you a story. So, so I'm in Chugosh in, in Alaska, right, photographing moose in September when they're in rut and they're fired up and stuff, so you stay back a little bit. It's a flat area, no place to hide, right? So there's willows and there's little branches and muskeg and stuff like that, but I'm still back a little bit. So I'm photographing two big bulls and they're battling. And I'm really cognizant about the behavior. So I'm making sure they don't focus on me, that the ears don't flatten, right? That they're just focused on each other. Well, all of a sudden, the smaller bull looks up. And he said, well, I can't mess with this guy anymore, but that looks like fair game. <laughs> so he runs right at me. Oh, my God. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> so I go to turn around. And I don't want to turn my back. I just want to back up. And my foot gets stuck in a willow. I fall. The camera hits me in the sternum and knocks the wind out of me. So I'm laying on the ground, and this bull moose is coming. So I look up, and I'm like, oh, no, it's 20 feet away. So I curl up in a fecal, I mean fetal position, <laughs> right? Probably was fecal. Probably <laughs> uh, might have been a little of both. First you say it, then you do it. So, so yeah, and I look up, and he just turns away, you know, and, and just kind of disappears. But my heart's going to pound out of my chest, and I was like, holy crow, I could have got stomped to death. So here's the crazy part. The next day, I'm in what was the Millennium Hotel in Anchorage. And a guy says, hey, Chaz. And I said, yes, sir. He said, did you see the guy get charged by the moose yesterday? And I go, yeah. Sure did. Yeah, I saw it up close and personal. I just hope it's not on YouTube. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you a humbling story. I'm in, uh, in Newfoundland, so we're photographing uh, puffins and, and seabirds. And a gal comes over to the group and says, hey, what are you guys doing? This is, well, it's a photography group, and uh, you know, we're on a tour. The leader's over there. So she comes over and she's talking to me. And I used to have a little book that had uh, 54 by 6 photographs in it, you know, with my business information and contact info and, uh, and stuff like that on there. So I would just show it to her. Here's what we do. And I said, well, you're welcome to pick one. You know, just it's got a little picture on there, you know, with my contact information if you ever want to, you know, show up or something. So she looks through the book and she says, um, I would like this picture. And I said, well, that's kind of odd. That's a picture of me. And she said, well, all the other ones I could take myself. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's pretty darn humbling. So the group was hysterical laughing, and I didn't know what to do, so I was laughing as well. But I'll never, ever forget that. It's like, well, there you go. Okay, fine, thanks. But, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, but we had, I mean, we were in the Bahamas with sharks and, uh, you know, bull shark circling real close. And one of the coolest pictures I have is not one I've, I, I've taken. You know, it's the guy above me who fired the camera right as I cracked the shark in the face as hard as I could, you know, with my housing to back him up. Wow. So the camera's contorted against his nose and, you know, got attacked by a bull sea lion underwater. That's Jeez. another crazy gig. Jeez. Big bull sea lion coming at me, barking, trying to bite me, and I'm hitting him in the face with the camera. So finally I get back in the Zodiac, you know, hyperventilating. <laughs> and the guide is like, you okay? I go, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> I go, there's Somebody a crazy ass freaking like sea lion attacking me and he goes oh yeah there's a really aggressive one down there yeah so i'm like i found it I'm like what you know that would have been like need to know information man oh like, geez yeah crazy well what's what's the one with the monkey one time oh, you, the monkey. <laughs> that, the monkey. that's the first day i ever met you was it yeah yeah that's crazy so we're in japan photographing these uh snow monkeys and they used to be able to get fairly close to them you know they're kind of habituated so uh there's there's behavior that's considered antagonistic to any species, right? So you, you're not supposed to stare at a cat. Like, you know, you can't stare down a cat. You could stare at a dog and a dog usually back down, but you can't do it to a cat. And apparently you can't do it to a snow monkey. <laughs> so I'm like maybe four feet away from this monkey and I'm photographing it with a wide angle. So the monkey's looking at me. I look at the monkey and I raise my eyebrows. Oh. Well, that's antagonistic. So the monkey looks at me and goes, oh. right in my face. And I almost fell backwards. I mean, literally scared the bejesus out of me. You know, big teeth, glaring his eyes. So one of the people in my group comes over and I said, hey, you want to see something really cool? I go, look right at the monkey and raise your eyebrows. <laughs> so, so he looks at the monkey. He does it. The monkey goes, I get this awesome picture. And he looks at me and he goes, what the heck, man? So we were all laughing and everything. I was, Thanks for taking one for the team. But, but yeah, yeah. Crazy stuff. We have a good time. I mean, you got a kid around. Yeah, yeah. We we had a group of people in Yellowstone one time, and uh, this guy this guy from uh, 
He's from Louisiana. He's a good old boy, Cajun guy, absolutely fantastic. Another guy, Harvard graduate, room together. It's like the odd couple, <laughs> but they got along better than anybody you could possibly imagine, right? Just fantastic. So, like, they'll come downstairs in the morning to eat breakfast, and one guy says, hey, you got to see what the other guy was wearing. He had green chartreuse feet pajamas. <laughs> the guy from Harvard. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He goes, no, no. He goes, you shut the light off. He glows in the dark. <laughs> and then he'd be in bed, and the other guy would be going when he's on the phone with his wife, come back to bed, baby. I mean, just, just absolutely crazy stuff. So we started putting, like, signs on their door. You know, if this room's knocking, honeymoon suite. And they never said anything. So the last day of the trip, this other guy says, you know, it always ended up on my door. So I'm like, what? The whole trip, everybody's putting these stickers on the wrong door. (laughs) But harmless stuff, but just, you know, we have a good time. I mean, it's not just about the photography, you know. It's about people enjoying themselves. Yeah. People will call me up, and they'll go, you know, I'm really intimidated to go on the trip with you. And I'm like, what? And they said, yeah, you have this status in the industry and who you are. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, you know? So anyway, they'll come on the trip and they're like, you're just like the guy next door. You know, we all had a good time. And I'll pick up the phone in the office and they're like, who's this? I go, it's Chaz. I can't believe you answered the phone. I go, who am I? What do you mean you can't believe I answered the phone? Yeah. You know, what are you talking about? You know? So, yeah, it's, I don't buy into the whole, you know, don't you know who I am thing. I mean, yeah, we're yeah. all the same, man. Yeah. You know, we just have different aptitudes to do different things, but we all start somewhere. You know, I never pick up the camera and go on the third day, you know, I rested, you know, because Sherry won't let me. <laughs> so, so, humble you. so, yeah, yeah, it's it's all a learning experience. So I don't care if you come with a film camera. Yeah. You know, my job isn't to ridicule you. It's to give you the, you know, the wherewithal to, to do the best possible. Uh, we had a gal on the trip one time. She goes, uh, could you criticize my images? And I said, yeah, probably, but I, I think you're looking more for a critique. You know? you know, That's the worst stuff I've ever seen. You should sell your stuff and take up golf. I mean, Why are you even here? Why are you even here? Yeah, I don't think that's what you want. But yeah, can you criticize my pictures? I'm dying. Yeah. Must be tough at home. Yeah, I don't know. But, but yeah, it was funny. Uh, well, I just listening to you, there's, there's just no chance that you could ever be a good quality, uh, guide. I mean, it just, there's no, no fun. Y'all don't have any fun. You probably don't give them any instruction. No. I mean, you're just taking their money and running, aren't you? Yeah. We did have a guy say that one time. He goes, you know, no that way. guy, Chaz, he just takes people on the trip, doesn't teach them anything and takes their money. I never met the guy in my life. It was oh just gosh. another photography leader, you know? And I was like, okay, well, whatever, <laughs> you know, what am I going to, I don't care. Yeah. You know, it, but it's just, you know. Trying to put somebody else down to make yourself look better, I guess, you know, whatever. But Oh, gosh, that's um, weird. Yeah, it's funny. Never met the guy in my life. Wow. So all of this um, interaction and all of the things you've done in the Galapagos and other places, the, it's the same experience here in Western North Carolina. You get Chaz, which is, yeah. that's worth the price of a mission just by itself, Chaz. I, I'm going to remember I, you said that. <laughs> it, should, it should be. Uh, but then, I mean, it, it's the same thing. So whether it's a waterfall, whether it's an elk, whether it's, yeah. I mean, what... Uh, I mean, black bear. What, what else are you shooting wildlife here? Or like when you do your clinics here, are they landscape wildlife? Yeah, both. both. Okay. Yeah, both. Yeah. So if you look at my website, if you go to shoot the light, punch on workshops 21, and you just look at the composites that we put up, um, a lot of that is illustrative of what we're going to take during the trip, right? So we have the elk. Um, if we encounter bears, you know, that's remarkable. Um, but um, yeah, for landscape opportunities and we do uh, Milky Way shots, you know, it's stuff like that. Star trails at night, waterfalls, fall color. You know, all of it, you know, and and the principles carry over to everything. So it's fun. You know, I'll throw something up to you. Um, So when I started fly fishing again, right, I hired a guide when I came back here. Davidson River Fly Shop, right down the road from us, right? Great, great bunch of guys, really knowledgeable, um, super personality. So I hired the guy, and I said, bring your fly rod. He goes, no, I'm not supposed to do that. You know, we're just supposed to teach you, and, you know, it's all about you. I go, good, it's all about me, right? I want you to bring your fly rod. There you go. So he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I want to see how you do it. I want to see how you cast. I want to see how you tie the knots. I want to see how you do this and all that. I don't care if I catch a fish today. Teach me to do it, and I'll catch a fish anytime I want to. You know, and he's like, what? You know, so he was, like, enthralled with all that. And I seriously, you know, did that. And I said, here, use my rod for a minute. You know, see how this works. And we had a great day, and I went to tip him at the end of the day. He goes, I should pay you. He goes, you know, we're really not into this. And we became friends, and and now we kind of cruise around. But it's the same approach that I have to teaching you photography. Right? If I teach you to do it, you can do it when I'm not there. But you have to understand how it all works, you know, and the fundamentals. And we're all about teaching people why something does what it does. You know, not, well, you know, here's the camera, put it in automatic. If it's light, make it dark. If it's dark, make it light. 
right? Why is the camera telling me to do that? How is it interpreting the scene? And once you understand the base of the pyramid, then you can, you know, go wherever you want with it. That's and awesome. more fundamentals, you know, it frees you to concentrate on the aesthetics and take better photographs. And that's what it's about. Wow. You don't want to have to concentrate on all the, the little nuances and the technical stuff. You know, you just want to be able to see it. And again, you know, see the picture in your mind, figure out the tools and techniques to capture that vision. So it's wow. fun. You know, it's really fun. And when the light bulb goes off and that guy goes, I got it. You know, that's the best thing anybody could ever tell me. You know, and if you get the best picture on the trip, hey, man, you know, game on. You know, that's that's what gets me off now. It's not, you know. Oh, look, I got another waterfall, you know, or I got the same waterfall or, you know, I got another elk picture. You know how many elk pictures I have <laughs> from all over, you know, from Yellowstone and the Rockies and, you know, Canada and, you know, and here, all that. You know, it's about showing them, you know, what to look for and seeing them get all excited. And that's what fires me up. Uh, you know, that's, that's what keeps me to keep doing what I'm doing. That's so cool. Uh, a while ago, you shared, maybe several years ago, actually, you shared with me the story of being out um I think you might have been in the South Davidson and a guy was fly fishing yeah. and you just kind of stopped what you were doing and put your rod down and just approached him and asked him if you could give him a few pointers. And the guy was, you know, welcome and opening and that just, he, he saw the, it wasn't photography, but he saw the light bulb go off. Yeah. It's the same way. scenario. Right. So I guess the teaching now is uh, kind of ingrained in me. Yeah. You know, it's an eight. It's an, it's all about giving back, you know, so some 63 now. Right. It's been a great career. I don't think it's kind of reached the apex. Hopefully not, you know, but still kind of riding the wave a little bit. And it's my time to give back. Yeah. You know, like I said before, you know, I've been blessed and there's younger people coming up, you know, and all that stuff. And, you know, I'll just call them out of the blue or send them a text or, or email and say, hey, man, if there's anything I could ever do. And they're like, what? You know, hook people up with sponsors that I know and, you know, give them some business tips or whatever else it is. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. You know, it, it's great. So we had some kids. I was on the on the East Fork you know, fly fishing. And my favorite hole while I was over there, I had somebody in there. And I usually get there way before everybody else, but somebody beat me to it that day. And I came back and there were two kids and they were leaving that spot. And uh, I said, how'd you do? Oh, we didn't catch anything. So I said, would you like to? And they were like, what? And I said, if you don't mind, come back in with me. So I took the two kids back in the water. I showed them exactly what I was doing. And his first cast, he caught the biggest rainbow of his life. That's awesome. So, so he was ecstatic. And, you know, I, I'm elated ear to ear. You know, I just made that kid's day and made his life. And, you know, so what? I didn't catch another fish, you know. But That's but, just who you but are, that's, man. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, and, and it's true what they say. You know, giving is better than receiving. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've been lucky. That's cool. All right. I know this is kind of a hard pivot, but uh, it, it, somewhat of a transition. Because you just talked about your 63 new season of life, sort of taking different directions, but you also have a, a company that you've started the product. You didn't start, but you helped to kind of perfect it, but you've got a whole new company, the heat company. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so we are, um, the exclusive North American distributor for the heat company gloves. And if you punch in.com, it goes to the European site. So you can do that, but you're going to pay an insane amount of shipping. <laughs> so if you go to the heat company.us, um, we're the distributors for that. Uh, it's the best cold weather gloves on the planet. Um, they're originally designed for the Austrian and German army to photograph or photograph to fire um, tactical weapons, right? So they need the dexterity and the cold and all that. And um, a friend of mine said, "Hey, Chad, you got to check these gloves out. These are crazy." So I ordered them from Europe. I got them. Um, was using them for a while and said, wow, these things are the best I've ever come across. And I have a bin probably with $2,000 worth of gloves that everybody told me these are the best on the planet. So the ones that are really warm, you can't feel the shutter, you can't you know, do anything with, they don't have the dexterity, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I called the company, asked if they had any representatives in North America. They said no, and it's kind of progressed from there. So we now have this full-blown website. Um, we just got in 70 boxes, Jeez. giant boxes of gloves. So we're stocked. Any of those gloves that you see in North America, they're coming from us. We have military contracts now. Um, we have all the top uh, photography stores in the United States selling them. But we also have the rights to military, law enforcement, outdoor sports, hunting, photography, all that stuff. That's awesome. So you can check them out. It's a three-layer system. It's a liner glove, seven different liner gloves that go inside a, a leather shell, you know, and then there's an outer shell that you can put on if you're doing uh, dog sledding, snowmobiling, and things like that. But there's other gloves in addition to those. But the whole premise is this three-layer system. So you can kind of uh, have the versatility for the gloves to suit 
any kind of temperature variation from like plus 20 down to minus 30, minus 40, you know, that I wear in the Arctic. So wow. they really are the best thing. And I would never, you know, promote or try and sell anything that I didn't use myself. So. Right. Right. Because, I mean, this is one of the only, I mean, besides canning and repping them, you, you don't really kind of sell and endorse a lot of different products. I mean, but this one has made a difference for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have all these companies that want me to promote their products, you know, but uh, I mean, and it could be an additional revenue stream. I just don't feel, you know, appropriate in doing all that, you know, um, just kind of not the nature of, you know, of, for me. But uh, but the gloves have made a difference. You know, I don't care how good, you know, the the images are. If your hands are frozen and your feet are real cold, you know, you can't you can't do it. Yeah. So the gloves have made a huge difference, and uh, everybody we've given the gloves to and shown them to, and you know, they're these are the best things ever. And crazy, but really cool is I went to Yellowstone last year, and everybody in the park had those gloves. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, everybody was like, "Hey, you're the glove guy." Yeah. Oh yeah, I'd rather be known as a photography guy, <laughs> but but I'll take it from whence it comes, you know. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, uh, if you go, by the way, to B&H, right, and you punch in B&H, which is the, the photography store, yeah, yeah. B&H Video, and my name, Charles Glatzer, you'll see a bunch of um, like video tutorials that I have done for them. Okay. You know, on metering and uh, cold weather gear, and you'll see some of the glove stuff on there and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, check out theheatcompany.us, and you'll see the gloves. Awesome, man. Well, we'll definitely- we sell retail, and if you're looking for a wholesale account, you know, we do all that as well. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, Chaz, listen, man, uh, this is really seriously what most of our conversations are like. They just kind of take different tangents as they did early this morning. But um, I'm just glad that listeners have had a chance to, to, to meet you virtually and to kind of hear your story and hear all your storytelling. Um, we only scratched the surface, but um, if you want to learn more, then sign up for one of these awesome workshops or go abroad whenever he can travel abroad again and be a part of some of these, uh, these amazing workshops. Um, but Chaz, dude, listen, it's always good to see you and be with you. I just appreciate you being here today, buddy. It's it's always been fun. I, I wish we could get together more. Yeah. And and now that I'm trying to take the transition a little bit, um, and I am home a little bit more, I, I hope we could do that. Maybe get our families together and go out to dinner and yeah. do whatever we want to do or, or get out in the field here and enjoy uh, you know, God's country that's around us. That's but, right. Uh, always a pleasure. Wish you well. Um your listeners well. I wish everybody well. You know, <laughs> be well. Be well. Yeah, yeah. Always. You know, be positive. Try and stay optimistic in these crazy times. And uh, yeah, you know, enjoy yourselves. Yeah. Good word, brother. Appreciate you being here. Thank you, sir. When you have a deep passion for something, it sincerely moves you. It affects every decision you make and where you invest your time and resources. For Chaz, that passion was wildlife and teaching. He left a lucrative photography career working in New York City and ran hard after his passion to spend time in the outdoors photographing wildlife. And, as you now know, his passion for teaching completely changed the trajectory of his career, which has allowed him to lead groups of people into some of the world's most incredible places. And yet, Chaz chooses to live right here in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Western North Carolina. I'm grateful our paths crossed, and I always enjoy spending time with Chaz. In fact, I just truly enjoy spending time with people who are passionate about life and who run hard after their calling and craft. If you enjoyed this episode, then you definitely want to subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date with future episodes. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram and feel free to reach out to me at Mike at explorationlocal.com if you have an idea for a future episode. I'd love to connect with you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Until we meet again. I encourage you to wander far, but explore local.